Welcome to episode 177 of the McSauce Comic Book Podcast. My name is Paul McGinty. With me, as always, are Ian Sharpley. Hello. And Matt Casal. Hello. It is Monday night, January 2nd, 2017. And tonight, we're going to review 2016. All the good stuff, uh, a lot of negative stuff, <laughs> but we're going to... Try to stick to the good stuff. Yeah, you know us. We're always positive. We're a shining ray of light around here. So I actually, I think we will stick to positive stuff, which is pretty funny since all the other year in reviews that I've listened to, they're all just gloom, doom, death, sadness, but not the McSauce comic book podcast. Yeah, and I, I think overall, you know, 2017 was uh, a bit of a stinker. Uh, a lot of 2017 big, was a bit 20, of a stinger. 2016 have, was a clairvoyant. Bit of a you know, um, you see the future. A lot of big celebrities died last year, and I think that kind of set the tone for a lot of it. But I saw some tweet a couple days ago that was a a picture, and it was like, well, not all of 2016 was bad, and I had this whole list of like all this good stuff that happened. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess maybe 2016 wasn't like complete. A complete tire fire. But as we sit here, you know, my car is a room away with part of the ceiling smashing through its windshield. So, <laughs> and that happened in what year? 2016. Ah. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, 2016 had its ups and downs. I liked it overall. I enjoyed it. Yeah, you did. Yeah. You had a good yeah, year. Some, yeah, some good stuff. Now, good stuff going on this year. What doesn't have its ups and downs uh, would probably be housekeeping with Ian Sharpley. No, it's all, it's all highs, all downs. It's all, all no, no, it's all gutter. highs. Come on, buddy. What doesn't have ups and downs? It's all. But I can definitely vouch for its quality. Its value is mixos.com. The comics, the podcast, the reviews of comic books. I mean, it's it's all high marks. It's all thumbs up everywhere. So go to mixsauce.com, check out the comic strips that we work really hard on, the podcast that we, you know, we hang out and talk some shit to each other, and the reviews that Paul slaves over and, you know, puts his uh, his blood, sweat, and tears into. Uh, sometimes. Sometimes. Not this past week. I, I, I didn't feel like any of the books that I got this past week were really worth writing about. Like some good stuff, but nothing that was like, oh, yeah, mm. this book really... Really got my juices going. No, no juice going, huh? Is that it for housekeeping? Um, go to the Facebook page. You can contact us there. You can be updated with all the McSauce comings and goings on the Facebook page. You can find the podcast on iTunes. You can also find it in Stitcher, and you can find it uh, the classic episodes at McSaucePodcast.libsyn.com. And uh, one one other uh, housekeeping item, uh, two of our friends, uh, Ryan McCormick and Tiffany Moore, have a podcast together, What We Watch in the Shadows, where they review old 80s TV shows, sitcoms. I know, Paul, you're a big Full House person. They do a Full House episode this week where they uh, do commentary tracks on 80s TV shows, so... Uh, you can find uh, what we watch in the shadows everywhere you find our podcast on Stitcher, iTunes, and uh, I drew the cover artwork for their podcast. So when you go there and you check that out, and you're like, "Oh, 
This is beautiful. <laughs> you can thank Ian Sharpley for the lovely artwork. <laughs> so before we get uh, into the episode, I think it's important for me to um, plug our comic strip a little bit because uh, I don't work on the comic strip. But I have to Whose fault is that? It's mine. But I have to say that it is at its all-time peak in terms of quality, uh, artwork, humor. It's all there. And uh, if you listen to 177 episodes of this podcast, you don't often hear me stroking the ego of my (laughs) co-hosts. But um, it's really good. Um, And... I. I really think that if you haven't checked it out, I really encourage you to actually go to the website, mcsauce.com, or the um, the strips are also on our Facebook page. Uh, plus, these guys are always posting them on social media, whether it's Instagram or Twitter. But check it out. It's really funny, and it looks great. It's they're Both Ian and Paul are at the top of their game right now. Well, thanks, buddy. Thanks, buddy. It means, means a lot. It's true. And that's the best thing that's happened to me in 2017. The, the new and improved McSauce podcast, it's all full of positivity, good vibes, 2017. That's what we're all about. So uh, why don't we get right into uh, some of the highlights from uh, 2016. Um, it didn't take long for 2016. Go ahead, Ian. You can open that. I don't think it's going to pick up. <laughs> Some things never change, Paul. Um, 2016. It didn't take long for uh, 2016 to get off to a pretty uh, exciting start because on February 14th, if memory serves, Valentine's Day itself, we were treated to the first comic book movie of the year. Paul, what was that movie? Deadpool. That's right. It was Deadpool. It was Deadpool. Well, Deadpool. He he stands very steadfastly. I was going to say Civil War, and then I was going to say Suicide Squad until I remembered it wasn't either of those. Wow. It was Deadpool. I was going to say Fifty Shades of Grey. Mm, That came out then, didn't it? It came out the year before. Shame shame on me for knowing that. The trailers for the sequel look better than... The original. The original was bad. This new one's also going to be bad. This one looks like it could yes, be... Yes, you're right, Ian. It could be an okay thriller. That it will not. Yeah, that's spoken like a true fool. I mean, no offense. <laughs> Bright and sunshine. That's what so, 2017 so was all Deadpool. about. That's what it was all about for you were, three minutes. <laughs> you're very good at comic strips, and you're dumb at assessing movie trailers. Well, I didn't see the first... Fifty Shades of Grey, and I didn't read the book, uh, which is probably surprising to a lot of people. But the Fifty no. Shades Darker looks like it could be a good thriller. It looks like it shifted genres, and it could just be kind like of a cre- basic kind of a instinct kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? If it is like Basic Instinct, then it then it probably is pretty good. I bet you it's not like Basic Instinct. But this is not the McSauce Fifty Shades podcast. This is the McSauce Steadpool, right? <laughs> so, uh. So, Paul, Steadpool came out on uh, Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day. Um, it had a little bit of a romantic angle to it. Did it really it did. It really did. I don't think. I think it had a lot of romantic angle to it. Um, um, I, I, I think a lot of people probably want to bury uh, 
because that was the real crux of the movie. Like that was the through line of the movie, and mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people want to bury that because Deadpool's all super cool well, and I, he's real funny. I'm not and sure. He's like real violent. And there, there was a violent movie, but that was a really touching movie. Well, I don't know if it was touching necessarily, but you know what? I, I think was it, touched. I think that it probably affected maybe some um, more sensitive viewers, uh, like maybe maybe of the female persuasion and Paul, uh, where it I was... I like romance. There's nothing wrong with that. No, but, there isn't. But I think that that's a lot of what actually got a lot of female viewers into Deadpool because I feel like it kind of appealed surprisingly to a much broader demographic than I think anyone expected it to Uh, between the action, the humor, and then the unexpected romance. I think that it kind of really hit a lot of areas to appeal to a lot of people. With that said, I still stand by the fact that I think it's a pretty overrated movie Um, and me being me, uh, when everyone kind of strokes something a little too hard, uh, when I don't think it deserves it, I kind of want to obstruct or push the other way. So, you know, I, I'm a little bit sour on Deadpool just because I think that it gets accolades it doesn't quite deserve. Were you entertained by Deadpool? Did yes. it give you everything yes. that you thought that that movie could have done in a little bit more like no. Deadpool's a very limited character. I don't think that they could have done more with him. I think they could have. I really? I mean, wouldn't you agree, Ian, that the villain was really kind of boring? Yeah, but I mean, how many comic book movies can you say that about? Nearly all of them. Does doesn't make it an unfair criticism just cuz the other comic book movies aren't doing it well enough doesn't mean that Deadpool doesn't have to. You you asked me, like, did it do everything that it could have? No, it could have had a better villain. Yeah. But if they they have a better villain, that means you're taking taking story away from all the other parts of the movie that really made it a good movie. Um, Yeah. Did it it need a better villain? Because he was just kind of like a straw man for Deadpool to knock down, right? Yeah, you're right. And you know what, Paul? Because you made the point, the through line of the movie was the romance between... Wade Wilson and Hottie McHottie. Yeah, her and Marina Baccarin. And then, yeah, you don't really need um, that kind of yin to Deadpool's yang. Uh, you know, that like counterpoint because it really wasn't about that. It was about the romance. Fine. Okay, fair enough. And but, here's, well, okay, go ahead, finish. But as a viewer, um, I still. That's not like the main reason why I'm going to go to a movie. I like some decent romance too, believe it or not, Paul. But um, Deadpool, I don't think of romance when I think of Deadpool. I think of the humor, which I think this movie brought and it did it well. But it's a superhero movie, so I still want a quality supervillain to go up against my hero. That's all. See, I like Ajax quite a bit because... Ajax was very believable in just being a fucking asshole. He's just not a good person. And that's fine, because I thought he was fully realized as that. And, like, those people exist. Um, in comparison I don't with think someone that like... Matt has a problem with how mean 
Ajax was. He just wasn't memorable. Yeah, I yeah because I, I, look, I don't necessarily feel like well he was totally realistic, so that's what worked for me because nothing else in that movie was realistic. So maybe that kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. Maybe the villain should have been a little bit more far out there. I don't know. But anyway, my point was, and I didn't really want to turn this into the Deadpool review. I just didn't like it as much as like the accolades that it got. I liked it for sure, but not to the degree that it, the the positive praise that it gets. Well, I still feel like it gets a lot of positive praise because it's Deadpool. True, true. This has been the a long time coming for a lot of fans. Yeah, and it was good. It was a really good movie. I liked it. I liked it more than you liked it. But I feel like a lot of a lot of hype around it is because it was Deadpool and it was executed well enough that even if hardcore Deadpool fans uh, can't bring themselves to say that it wasn't their favorite movie. They will tell you it was their favorite because it was good enough to be a good Deadpool product. <laughs> I, yeah, I agree. I The sad thing is, I think for a, a probably the majority of Deadpool fans, he appeals... The things that appeal to them is are like of the lowest common denominator. Like the, the dick and fart jokes are the reason why they eat that shit up. Right, no one's like, I love this character because he went through hell to get back to his girlfriend. Right. They're like, I love this character because he likes chimichangas too. Right. And I'm like, you fucking dummy, cut your own throat out, please. There you go. (laughs) Bright and sunshiny, folks. McSauce Podcast. 2016 old school (laughs) heat. Uh, Matt, what what happened next? I think there was a another comic book movie right uh, after Deadpool, right on the heels of Deadpool, right on the heels. Just a, a mere month later, Paul, we had we were treated to Batman v Superman, the movie that felt like <clears throat> that it was in the making for ten years, Ian. Longer than that, since like, uh, like as long, since the beginning of time, I'd si- have to say. I mean, I feel like this movie. We were we were hearing about it like in our earliest episodes of this podcast, and then finally it came out this past year, and uh, I remember my excitement for it was through the roof. It Absolutely. was it was the movie we saw in its completion in trailers, and then we paid to go to the theater to see the extended cut. We they should have given you know how. Um, when you go to a baseball game, sometimes they'll give you like uh you can check off the scorecard of the baseball game. And as everything happens, OK, you know, this is when this out happened and this out happened. Just check things off. They should yeah. have given us a scorecard so that we could follow along and be like, all right, well, this is when. All right. Well, they have the fight on the rooftop and here comes Doomsday and I see Wonder Woman and just check it right down the line. And then afterwards, you can compare it to the stuff in the trailer that you didn't end up seeing I feel like this was the first one the first movie that came out that I really noticed that they took things out of the trailer like the trailer played things that you didn't see in the finished product um, Rogue One is equally guilty of that mm-hmm. where you're sitting you're, you're watching and you're kind of anticipating well when is when is this scene going to happen that I saw in the trailer oh it never happened when are they going to say this line of dialogue I really hate that about today's movie going experience that we kind of are trained to like 
sit there and and wait for things to happen. <laughs> yeah, well, I, well, and that's a testament to Force Awakens that is as irritating as it was at times to not know anything. It was really nice to not know anything. Were you irritated by that? Because I wasn't. I was. It, I thought it was refreshing um, to go and kind of. Uh, no, lie. yeah, I was. I was. I was completely fine with it. Uh, Matt was vexed a little bit. Were you vexed? Matt, Matt? wanted a little more. Little more info. I don't think that's the case. Actually, I think you have it reversed. If I recall, wait, what? I like that the Force Awakens trailers didn't oh, tell us. Oh, the Force Awakens, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. That uh, they didn't tell us. They gave us very bare bones. They, they really did, although I'm not sure that maybe at the time it bothered me, but in retrospect, I think that was one of the great strengths of the marketing of that movie and, and something that they'll never be able to duplicate um, unless they uh, unless they basically put Star Wars on hold for another 10 years and, and start it back up with a whole new cast of characters because you're never going to be able to show characters without any explanation on who's who. Um, you know, when well, we... When we finally see the episode eight commercials or previews, whatever, um, we're going to see Ray. We're going to know who the fuck Ray is. We're going to see Kylo Ren. We're going to know who Kylo Ren is. So they're not going to be able to duplicate that kind of marketing where it's like, oh, who is that guy? What the stormtrooper? What, what's he doing? Like, why is his armor off? Like, that's just not going to happen again. Well, kind of, sorta, but we still don't know who any of those characters are. We know Kylo Ren's the bad guy. We know Ray's the good guy. Stormtrooper, you know, uh, Finn's the guy that defected. Yeah. And even after an entire movie, that's still all we know about those characters. Yeah, but there's still there's there is now a connection to all three of those characters, w- whether we know specifically their backstory or whatever. When we see them, it evokes a certain feeling that's unique to all of them. So. Again, like when you see them without any kind of context that is the Force Awakens, then you have nothing to. There's, it's almost like this empty feeling. It's like you're just basing it on the way somebody looks. But now we have actual context. So, um, I stand by my statement. So back to Batman, Batman, Batman Superman. Superman. <laughs> um, it, it was a pretty. Uh, you know, the divisive, is that right? Divisive movie? Divisive, yeah. Now, uh, divisive yeah, is when somebody says something that's that, hated. That's okay. hated. Now, uh, Grammar it, podcast, it, it was, it was very divisive. I think, Paul, that this was the most divisive of everything that came out in the entertainment world this past year. Uh, I, more, more than anything else that we'll get to on the list where, boy, Critics weren't very easy on it. It got or should they have been? It got really mediocre reviews, um, it, mediocre to to bad reviews. Uh, it it basically the good things were more or less ignored um, because people were too busy complaining about the things that they didn't like. It was a preview. Of the two different Americas that we live in, the bubbles that everybody well, because we have the critics and then the 
moviegoers. Because the things that were good were good, but the things that were bad were atrocious. Well, very quickly, Paul, what were what were some of the most atrocious? Give us one or two. Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor. I thought you liked Jesse Eisenberg's oh, Lex Jesus, Luthor. Jesus, no. I had I had hope going in that his character would turn somewhere in the movie, and it didn't. He stunk the entire way through. I think the general handling of just Superman. You um, mean uh, who? Because yeah. right. he shouldn't have even been in the fucking title. Yeah. It should have been Batman v. Jesse Eisenberg. It should have been Batman. Superman was barely Batman in that fucking movie. Plus Wonder Woman. Yeah. I would have loved that movie. Or uh, but, Batman Plus. Or Batman Heart Symbol. <clears throat> but um They just they crammed the too much ignoring stuff in. of Superman and just the general Zack Snyder not liking that character that he's been charged with making movies about and like the mishandling, it really comes the across mishandling that he just doesn't of, of like Superman, Superman because Superman was in a good spot coming out of Man of Steel, and then you get to was he? Yeah, he was. I feel like he wasn't. No, he 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 absolutely was because you know he goes through all that stuff, and by the end of Man of Steel, you're like, all right, we've set up Superman to be the big blue Boy Scout that everyone knows and loves mostly, the Christopher Reeve version, you know the light to Batman's dark and then you get in Batman Superman and it's just dark on dark and no one likes black on black violence true that so yeah it's just Superman God was damn just, you 2016 just completely mishandled <coughs> in, the, in that movie I really think that DC and Warner Brothers they need to get somebody out. oh and you're fucking yelling at me about opening my beer I didn't yell at you I said go ahead and do it I guarantee that didn't pick up <laughs> Um, DC and Warner Brothers needs to get a different director to handle Man of Steel 2 because Zack Snyder does not he he doesn't know what people want from Superman yeah 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 that's fine I I feel like Man of Steel was open enough they're like alright we're really going prequel with Man of Steel so Zack Snyder do it do what you want and he did, and there's enough room to come out of that movie and get to where Superman should be. And in Batman v Superman, he should have been there, and he wasn't. So I don't know how they're going to handle black outfit, long hair Superman for Justice League, but that's Zack Snyder too. I don't know. I mean, the preview for Justice League came out this this year, and I thought it looked good. I thought it looked good. So. What? But why did it look good? Batman Plus. I don't know. I liked seeing all the hey, heroes. We're we're bright and sunshiny this year. Let's talk about Batman v Superman positives. Ben Affleck's Batman. Spot on. Fantastic cinematic representation of Batman. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a a new take on Batman, which was cool. You know, the new voice was neat. The brutality was cool. What, like, I can't wait for Ben Affleck's Batman movie. Um, I, God, I really wish that they would put the Joker in as the main bad guy, but I guess it's going to be Deathstroke. Uh, yeah, I did hear that. Did they and they cast Deathstroke? It's um Joe Manganiello from Mr. Vergara. <laughs> fame, yes, from uh, her pussy fame. Yeah, uh, I'd take her name. I mean. 
I've read some old uh, Batman comics from the 80s where he fought Deathstroke. And Deathstroke beat the crap out of him. And it was actually really cool because almost nobody beats crap out of Batman. But Batman just couldn't keep up. He's not on Deathstroke's level when it comes to a, a hand-to-hand fighter because Deathstroke's genetically enhanced. Uh, Do you feel that that's a... Like, I don't feel like Deathstroke is a Batman villain. Like, I get it. He's fought him before. I understand. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like he's a classic Batman villain that should share silver screen time with him. I agree with that. I I was disappointed to hear that that was going to be the villain because Batman has the greatest rogues gallery well, in comic books. Is he the villain or is Deathstroke in the movie? I, I don't know. I, I don't because know. nothing's been it. announced. Right. He may just be in it. Perhaps Because when Jeff Johns tweeted that out, it was just an Easter egg like, oh, guess what? And no one knows. Right. He may just be in it. Yeah. I, I I almost hope he's the villain because I just I just want there to be a hero and a villain. When was the last time a movie has done that? A comic book movie has done that. Okay. Deadpool, we just talked about it. But before that, when was the last time that has happened? Uh, I don't know. But when it does happen... Ant-Man? I mean... Yeah, maybe. But when it does happen, I love that simplicity. I love just the, the struggle between like the one the hero and the villain. And it, it allows more screen time for each of those characters. And it, and it creates... Um, I think a lot more depth to those characters in those two hours. It it's allotted. The Dark Knight did it pretty good, and it was just right. A, a hero against well, a villain. Well, a little Two Face in there, but a little a little, little little taste a Two Face. Little Two Face taste. A little Two Face taste. So, uh, what are some other positives about Batman? You see, Wonder oh, that, Woman was yeah. Wonder Woman awesome. was the highlight. The Wonder Woman yeah. theme. The Wonder Woman theme. Right? Holy shit. We are dying for real themes for characters in these movies. And sadly, well, Superman has one, although it like didn't exist in this movie for some insane reason. <laughs> because and, Zack Snyder hates Superman. Hans Zimmer was like, here, let's put this here. And Zack Snyder was like, uh-uh, well, get it out. Hans Zimmer like co-wrote the the um, soundtrack with... Uh, who was the... Like some guy that doesn't really have a name. It's some like fucking... Like, DJ name or something. Oh, like Dead Mouse or something like that. Um, I don't know. Um I don't it, know. I'll I'll look it up. I'll I'll get I'll get DJ that. DJ Hans Zimmer. But uh yeah, the Wonder Woman DJ theme Zimzima. is pretty badass. Later on in the year we got the Wonder Woman trailer, and I mean that that got my uh boner pumping whenever at, at the end um, among other things about that movie. Uh, at the end, when they they start playing the music and they bring up the logo, I mean that's that's something that they did very effectively in Batman v Superman. Junkie, on- Junkie XL. Junkie XL. Didn't Junkie XL also do the Deadpool stuff? I don't know. Okay, I thought so. I don't but know. I could I'll be find wrong. That out so for the score for Justice League was done. Was co Batman v Superman for Batman v Batman v Superman was co written by Hans Zimmer. And Junkie XL. Yeah. Now, it, that's not unprecedented for Hans Zimmer to work with uh, somebody from another genre. I believe Hans Zimmer on the Amazing Spider-Man 2 soundtrack worked with... Um, well, I'll tell you in a second. Huh. 
You know what? I didn't know that Hans Zimmer was on The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Was he also on The Amazing Spider-Man? No. Um, that was done by James Horner, who tragically died in a plane crash a few years ago. Much like Peter Parker's parents. Yeah, right. Ultra. Any other things that you liked about Batman v Superman, Paul? Mm. Uh, off the top of my head now, no. And then Jeremy spin, Irons is Alfred. Well, Jer- yeah, I wrap him into like all the Batman stuff was good. Batman and uh, in general, the, Batman in the spirit business. of getting to other things in this podcast. Uh, okay, so that was March. Uh, where where do we go after March? Uh, well, we can look to. Um, why don't we? What? The stars. <laughs> we. Well, why don't we look to comic books? Because the the biggest thing that happened in comics this year was DC's rebirth, which was DC getting back to basics. They were getting back to uh, comics, their comic book superhero line before the New 52. And what they did was they kind of, I think, tried to remove a lot of the clutter and really get to the core of a lot of these characters, just like they did with Green Lantern Rebirth a decade ago, or it was even more than a decade ago. It was ago. longer than that. I think maybe closer to a decade ago was the Flash Rebirth Yeah, that Jeff Johns also helmed, uh, like the Green Lantern, yeah. that probably took place in 2002, somewhere yeah. around there. Yeah, I think you're right. Um which was great. Green Lantern Rebirth, which was, I think, the thing that cemented Paul being into comic books. Um, like, I think he was enjoying them, but when he read that, uh, and he can clarify when he gets back, but uh, he absolutely, I think, was hooked at that point. Like, that was his... It was his uh, Todd McFarlane uh, uh, Spider-Man number 12 moment. <laughs> If you will. And everyone needs one of those. Everyone right. needs they, a Spider-Man number 12. They do. But DC Comics, they they wanted to, um, like as you mentioned, remove some of the clutter and get back to the heart of a lot of these characters. I, ironically, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, I think that Marvel did sort of the opposite of that. And it's it's amusing to see how these two companies have diverged, where they're usually guilty of copying each other a lot. Yeah. I feel that... Marvel went off and did a lot of I don't know if it's fan service what they're what they're doing No 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 DC is doing the fan service Yeah what what do you, what would you call what Marvel's doing Uh cuz I don't feel like they're diversifying servicing. um Yeah it's like society service Yeah society service where they're responding to things that maybe people that don't actually read comic books or care about comic books ever want to see happen in comic books but people that read you know list articles online or go to websites and just want to see nice nice things on yahoo's front page about how um how different comic books are now instead of actually caring about the characters and stories and what's happening in them they just want to have a nice big advertisement on the front page of yahoo so that everybody can feel good about themselves (laughs) Um, now, Ian, did you think that the rebirth was a success? Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed the books that I read from DC. I think that they, they did what they set out to accomplish, which was get back to the heart 
and the essence of a lot of their characters. Um, I read the Wonder Woman stuff. I read a lot of the Batman stuff. I read some Green Lantern things. Um, and while I've fallen off a little bit from DC and Marvel um, as a whole, I think mm-hmm. that they did what they wanted to do. I enjoyed those books. They got great creators on them. The uh, All-Star Batman I, I was enjoying that had uh, John Romita Jr. Mm-hmm. I know that there's some... Are you still buying that? Um, I'm not I'm not buying it right now, but I like the first couple issues of that. I thought it was trash. Well, I liked it. I hated um, it. Well, that's fine. <clears throat> I really wanted to like it. We'll, we'll get to you in a okay, second. Sure. But I like that. Um, and later on in the year, the Young Animal imprint, I think, is probably a little bit more up my alley with some uh, non-traditional characters mm-hmm. and some stranger storytelling with uh, Doom Patrol. Um is the main book that I've been reading. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think DC did you get really Cave Carson. What's that? Did you get? Cave I didn't Carson? get that, but it sounded from your review a couple weeks ago. It sounded interesting. I think it's I'll have to neat. check it out. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's more of the stuff that's a little bit more interesting right. to me. Paul, um, did you uh, did you think that DC was successful with Rebirth, and do you think that they're still doing? Well, do you think they were successful? Yes. And I think they're still doing a great job. Yeah. Do we know what the because what the um, sales figures look like? Because I know for a while DC was doing well against. I, I haven't. I haven't looked recently. Um, I would be curious. Yeah. To look that up. Um, but uh, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe one of us can can look that up. Did you, Matt, did you enjoy uh, Rebirth? Did you have any particular titles that you liked? Um, I, yeah, I did. Um, I haven't been consistently reading anything, um, but I, there really wasn't anything that I didn't really like. Although I would say Wonder Woman was a little bit of a disappointment. I just didn't connect with it. Yeah. I tried to get into it, couldn't. Um, I think Green Arrow might be probably the best one that that I read. I really liked Hellblazer as well. Um, Some of the Batman stuff I think was good, but um, not as good as how good Batman was when the New 52 started. And and quite frankly, none of the Rebirth stuff has been as good as much of the New 52 was for that first year. They had a really dynamic and great idea for a lot of the books that they launched in the new 52 and then they just completely fizzled out. They lost Matt, what, all. They did. Have you been guidance. getting Tom King's Batman? Um yeah, the the latest uh, arc with um Bane with Bane and Batman goes to Arkham mm-hmm. and uh I think it's been pretty good. I, I I haven't been into the artwork for that run. For that run. Oh my yeah. god, it's Michael Jannon. Oh, I love Michael Jannon. I love Michael Jannon. Yeah, I'm. I just I don't love it. You know why? Because he's really good. Matt That's likes, true. Matt likes artwork like uh, Rob Liefeld and Todd McFarlane. That was a dig at both you assholes. Or, no, I, it, I or love it was two Jannon. digs at me. But I love I love Michael Jannon because I, I got Jannon, hit with uh, shrapnel. Yeah, Michael yeah, right. Jannon draw like you know who every every character is. Um, Every character, you could just see their face, and you know exactly who that character is. Yeah, because when Todd McFarlane draws characters, I have no idea who's who. 
Well, that's not a that's not a specific uh, indictment on Todd McFarlane, but it is an indictment on uh, Rob Liefeld and guys like Jim Lee who just draw the same face with different hairstyles over and over again. But Michael Jan is so good. Michael Jandon is really good. Uh, his work on Justice League Dark was amazing. That yeah. was the that was one of my favorite books of I, the New Fifty Two. I think the issue that I had with the artwork. The problem was, um, I think the coloring on it was was a bit washed. Like, yeah. if I remember correctly, there was, especially in the Arkham scenes, it was overly white. Yeah. Uh, and I think he was trying to create some sense of atmosphere, but I, I don't feel like it was, um, it was very effective. I think it was just kind of like art that didn't really speak to me. But anyway, um, well, um, like. I, I I think that story in general was kind of boring. Like I really liked how Tom King kicked everything off and David Finch's work on the book and the it kicked off great. I loved it. And the Batman goes to Santa Prisca to you know kick Bane's ass and Bane's home. That's a prison. I was over like as much as I love the artwork. I was kind of bored with the story. But I'm I'm still in. I think uh, I think those guys are doing a really good job. And DC Rebirth as a whole, I think was you know I think we all agree was uh, a a score for DC Comics, a score for comic book readers. It, it really was. I, I think that uh, it was a long time coming for a lot of the the tenured DC fans that. Uh, we're not all that taken with the new 52, especially as it kind of wore on. And this was kind of their their major comeback. And it was it was a pretty awesome comeback. Paul, it was similar to Mario Lemieux's comeback, which uh, which was boy, when was that? It was 2000, 2001. Was it 2001 when he did the comeback? December. I think you're right. Yes. Wow. And that was, so that was uh, 16 years ago, almost just over 16 years ago, but that was a hell of a comeback too. But um, you know what else happened in, um, in June, Ian, was uh, two thirds of the- Penguins won the Stanley Cup championship. They did. To tie that all And you know, you know when they did that, they did that on the final day of the Sci-Fi Valley Con in Altoona, PA. They did that, Paul. If you remember, did and they really? Yeah. Did we drive home and watch that? We well, drove while home. I sat home celebrating the Penguins' victory, you two drove out to Sci-Fi Valley Con to uh, to sell our wares. Well, no, to spread the word of McSauce. You are you're both not correct. So let's let's set the the record straight for our listeners. Um, when we went to the Sci-Fi Valley Con, we went on a Friday, and the Penguins had played the night before, uh, and they had lost. We were hoping for a big win. Uh, it was going to be in Pittsburgh, but they didn't do it. And um, they didn't play again until Sunday evening. So Paul and I were going to be home from the convention in time for the game. I remember... You know, we came to Paul's house to unload the cars, and then I had to go back to my house. I ended up going to my parents to watch the game, and I listened to the uh, the first bit of it uh, in the car before I could actually get to my parents. 
But um, yeah, so we we got to see the game. We were not busy doing the convention. We got to to witness, mm-hmm. at least on television, we got to witness the the, the Stanley Cup victory. Now, um, so the Sci Fi Valley Con was was a big deal for McSauce because it it landed us maybe. Um, one of our best interviews that we've ever done where we got to interview John Morton better known as Dak from The Empire Strikes Back Luke's co-pilot that well Luke's gunner his gunner yeah yeah okay co-pilot was not the right terminology he wasn't piloting the snow speeder he was piloting the the gun <laughs> I I feel like that's gunner <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but anyway, we, we met him. We had dinner with him and his lovely wife. Uh, sadly, I forget her name, but we'll just call her Mrs. Morton for the purposes of this podcast. I thought you were going to say Mrs. Dak. Well, that too. Mrs. Dak Morton. And uh, and we so we broke bread with him, and uh, we told him a little bit about what we do here at the McSauce Comic Book Podcast, and he was amazed with the wonderful things that we do. Um, and he was gracious enough to grant us an interview the next morning, which Paul and I did. And, uh, we did post it on the podcast. Ian, if someone wants to go back and listen to that episode, where do they go? They can go to mcsaucepodcast.libson.com. There you go. Check it out. And, uh, we had a, we had a good time this past year. We kind of took it easy on the convention circuit a little bit, Paul. And we, we've only hit, I think just the one this year, right? No, we did two. We did two. Oh, that's right. We did, we did two. three rivers, three, three rivers. rivers. That was in climb. May, I, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that was, that was a lot of fun too. I'll, I'll tell you. Yeah. We had a good time there. Um, I think, uh, two, two conventions, um, kept us fresh it kept us energetic and it was great fun. And, you know, I think after, uh, what did we do? Six conventions the year before? I believe so. I think that we were burned out. We were probably close to the, like, the second to last one, we were done. Yeah. Yeah. yeah by, by the end, we were pretty burned out. But for these two in 2016, I think we had all of our faculties and energy with us. Yeah, I agree. And, and given that, I'm excited for the next convention that we do. But we're not going to talk about that. That's a 2017 thing, Paul. And uh, if if anybody wants to listen to Dinner with Dak, you can. You don't have to go back into the archives. You can go in Stitcher. It's on. It's available there, and it's episode 155, Dinner with Dak. Does that mean it should also be available in, in iTunes? Yes, it should. Yes, it is. What I also. What a, a highlight for me in 2017, which came out in June. 2016? 2016. You're fucking this all up. I'm just, I'm just trying to jump, jump ahead. What I, which also came out in June 2016, was, was Wheeze? Was yeah. Voltron. Are you okay? I, I'm, I'm all right. Was uh, Voltron Legendary <sighs> Defender. Oh, I keep on Netflix. To check, check that out. And, uh, if it was, an amazing uh, reboot of the Voltron story. Cool. Uh, all of your favorite characters. Some except, new ones. Except uh, Sven. Is Instead it, of a uh, Swedish guy, they make him a Japanese guy. Paul, is it, now. is it done by an American animation house or a Japanese? Um, I have no idea. 
Mm-hmm. It feels very uh, Japanese to mm-hmm. me. I would um, I would guess. Okay. Uh, DreamWorks. Ah, <laughs> uh, Dream <laughs> DreamWorks on. <laughs> yeah, done by done by DreamWorks. DreamWorks. I, I feel like I should have known that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it takes um, <clears throat> it takes all of the good things about Voltron and keeps them, and it takes all the weird stuff and kicks them out. Uh, it's it's the retelling that you want uh, from seeing something as a kid and looking at looking at it as an adult. It would be really cool if uh, if they get their hands on a lot of the '80s properties that we loved as a kid. Like, could you imagine Masters of the Universe? Maybe, yeah, given yeah. a proper reboot. <clears throat> well, um, Dan Abnett co-wrote uh, a He-Man, a whole He-Man run for DC. Mm-hmm. It ended early in 2016, and um, I thought it was brilliant because mm-hmm. it was done the same way. It took it took out all of the silliness. Mm-hmm. It made it more of a. Um, uh, it just adulted everything up. It made it a a, a mature. Mm-hmm. It made it mature content, and it absolutely worked. Um, and DC later in 2016 start uh, kicked off a six-issue He-Man Thundercats crossover. And I was like, holy shit, this is going to be great. Because it was not too long after coming off Dan Abnett's He-Man run. Mm-hmm. Well, this one is like banana peels and cream pies. Oh, is it really? The tone is of the old cartoon. Who's writing this one? Uh, Leonard Goldfine and... Um, some other some other guy, I forget the guy's name, but this this guy apparently is a Mattel guy. And he's the one that oversees all the writing. And even in the Dan Abnett run, uh, this guy laid everything out and Dan Dan Abnett just polished it up. Um, but I guess um, fans weren't happy with the more mature take on the He-Man mythology. Oh, really? And a lot of people are really enjoying this He-Man Thundercats book. And it's just... Oh, it's just so like yeah. Cor- I, it's, it's super corny. I haven't read what you're talking about, you know, the Dan Abnett run, but I really feel like I would probably react the same way to it that you did, and and probably equally react negatively to the to the Thundercats crossover. And uh, well, that's kind of unfortunate, but the people have spoken. Yeah, apparently, yeah. Uh, and I guess people like this new this new take on He-Man Thundercats. Uh, I'm not one of them, uh, but Voltron does everything right. The only misstep in this Voltron show is that th- there are recognizable voices. Um, personally, Josh Keaton, who voiced Hal Jordan in the Green Lantern animated series, he's Shiro, so I know his voice. Uh, Jeremy Shada, who's Finn on, on Adventure Time, he's Lance. Sometimes... A little fin sound will come out, and it'll it'll pop out, and that's it's very minor. It's very minor stuff. Uh, Reese Darby is Coran, and he just sounds like Reese Darby. Uh, but the biggest, uh, the and uh, Andrea Romano is the voice director, who is responsible for all the voice casting for the uh, Batman the animated series. Yeah, all uh, the, the greatest animated stuff. series of all time. Um, but the biggest misstep was there's a. Uh, there's like a smuggler that they run into, and it's Norman Reedus. Oh my! And like even Jeremy Shada and Tyler Labine and Reese Darby, they're 
in the they're in the character enough that I know who these people are. I know these voices, but Tyler Labine's still hunk. Reese Darby is still Coran in this show. But as soon as I hear Norman Reedus speak in this like show, Daryl it is in space. It's, yeah, it's Daryl Dixon in space. <laughs> and it's it's so fucking bizarre hearing Daryl Dixon say things like Zarkon <laughs> and Row Beasts. It's it's so it's so bizarre. Uh, and I, I think there's 13 episodes, but out of the 13, that's really the only thing. The only thing that, that that pulled me out of the series. It's so good. I, I can't recommend it enough. Well, um I uh we jumped into uh June. We were talking about some of the highlights from June, but I accidentally skipped over May because one of the major uh movies this year came out in May. Um and it was almost um it was like the counterpoint to uh, Batman v Superman and it was more successful and it was well much more well received and of course that's Captain America 3 Civil War um, Ian do you think that was a better movie than Batman v Superman I enjoyed it more um, I think that it was uh, written for mainstream audiences a little bit more. Uh, I think that Batman v Superman, some of the stuff that I really enjoyed about Batman v Superman were reliant upon me being a comic book fan and being excited for um, some moments. I agree with that. Whereas, okay, well, that's fine. Or being Um, a Lord of the Rings fan and seeing the cave troll at the end. uh, No, I didn't like that at all. But um, uh, Civil War, I think that you... The mainstream audiences are so familiar with all of these characters mm-hmm. that it was a really um, not an easy movie, but it was uh, it was more easy for them to introduce new characters and do the whole gigantic fight scenes without having to build all this backstory because some of the minor players in those gigantic fight scenes already mm-hmm. had solo movies that did all of that heavy lifting for it. Um, I thought that the emotional turn at the end in the third act between Cap and uh, Tony Stark was done really well. Agreed. And, and I thought that that hit home for me and was done. It, it's funny that both of those movies have similar similar plots and similar third acts. And I just thought that the Civil War was done a little bit better. Spider-Man, I think that uh, was something coming in that I was a little bit hesitant about how enthusiastic I was going to be to this version of Spider-Man and what it was going to look like and how it was who going was to the, be. Who was the one that hated the CGI? I Spider- did. I thought it looked cartoony oh, okay. in the uh, in the trailer. Um, I It didn't bother me in the movie, though. I yeah, within it was context. Done, I thought it was done really well. Um, I, think, I really think that maybe the trailer had some unfinished Could work be. to it. Um, but Spider-Man was probably my favorite thing about Civil War. Super enjoyable. Uh, I for me my favorite thing you hit on it was probably the emotional uh, turn at the end mm-hmm. uh, between Captain America and Iron Man and f- frankly f- the only time in the movie that it really felt like like these two were truly at odds was at the end I think you know it felt like the big battle as cool as it was to see all these heroes quote unquote fighting against each other on it on the runway at the airport. It never felt like a call out quote unquote, but 
you know, War Machine gets paralyzed eventually. <laughs> It was accidental. It was almost like it. It wasn't. Know, it, it was like everything. Just it felt like there were no real stakes. It felt like everyone was pulling their punches, and and it was almost like an exhibition. Um, it was, you know, it was a training session. It was a training session. Glorified. Ian, hey, Ian, listen, they listen. punched an airport listen. runway in the end of the danger room. Yeah, right. It, but here's the thing, Ian, like. When you play an exhibition, people can still blow out their ACL. You know what I mean? Exhibition. Apollo Creed was killed in exhibition. There you, even better. <laughs> even better. Paul, did you like Civil War? Yeah, yeah. I liked Civil War. I, I think I only saw it that one time. And I'm afraid yeah. if I go back and watch it again, like a lot of, a lot of the excitement's going to be taken away. Like, you know, a lot of the... Uh, turmoil between the characters isn't really going to ring true as much um, up until the end, maybe. I got to tell you, like, I'm a big dummy. I never see twists and turns coming. So when Winter Soldier was responsible for murdering Tony Stark's parents and that tied it all together and made made that such an emotional you know, emotional meat grinder, if you will. Like, I didn't see it coming, and I, I'm sitting in my seat, and I'm like, oh my god, what's gonna happen now? <laughs> but that plays into um, a big dummy when I'm I, watching movies. Sea uh, Rogue One, in my surprise. I uh, I really felt for Iron Man uh, when, when he found out what happened, and he just kind of snapped, and he, he needed to just kill the guy that killed his parents, and even his, I don't know, is Captain America's best friend? I don't know. But even his best friend couldn't keep him from trying to kill this guy to the point where he, he fought him. And, and that was good stuff. Um, everything else was spectacle, and it was cool, and it had a lot of things that it did do better than Batman v Superman. But I still think at the end of the day, that movie really gets a pass on a lot of things that Batman v Superman doesn't get. And that, again... It's like everyone gushes over something that I think maybe doesn't quite deserve quite the accolades it gets, especially in spite of the fact that the the other movie that's about the two heroes fighting each other is just mercilessly panned. It's almost like people seem to have predetermined ideas of what they're going to like and they're not going to like, and they're going to be merciless. Well, there's... I want to get through some of this because, you know, we're, we're almost at an hour and we're only on fucking May. But, um, like, what Civil War had going for it is, yeah, there are the fucking Marvelites, you know, the the Marvel fanboys, and, you know, they can do no wrong. But what the creators and the writers of that movie had going for them is that they have all the setup already done. Like, all the characters have been established. You know, if the writers need to know who Tony Stark is, what he says, Mm -hmm. you know, how he acts, same with Steve Rogers and everybody, that's already done. Like, Mm -hmm. all that framework's already been laid. They just need to put them in these new scenarios. Um, Zack Snyder's still building that world. And it's been fraught with, uh, uh, you know, some missteps, and, you know, the critics have been really harsh on it. So... The guys writing the Marvel movies can pretty much go in at this point and be like, "We can do whatever we want. People are people are going to eat this shit up." Well, it's also but Marvel movies I'm sure are a division DC, of labor too. I'm sure like, the DC I think guys too went much in for Zack Snyder to do all by himself. And after after Man of Steel gets bashed like it did, I'm sure the DC creators go in and they're like, "Fuck, 
and there's more pressure on those guys well, to, to do different yeah. things. So, yeah, like, right. I, I don't think it's even though it was like hero on hero, I don't, I really don't think you can compare those two movies. Well, I was about to agree with what you were saying, but uh, I think you can compare them, even though uh, they definitely took different roads to get to where they were. And Marvel does have the advantage of the already built-in framework, but they they have a formula and they follow it. Um, you know, with with kind of like um, different variables that they'll change within it, but it's still the same basic framework uh, that they build on. And uh, that seems to really resonate with audiences where it seems like the, the DC universe just kind of isn't connecting. Although, a little preview for next week's episode, I think that's going to change in 2017. Um, Paul, you're right. We are just at, at June, um, but we can, uh, we can fly through the rest because... Uh, Quite frankly, the year was front-loaded. Uh, so we're going to skip all the way to um, to October. And we're going to talk just very briefly on one of our favorite things, Mixostober. We had another successful Mixostober this year. Paul, what were some of the things, some of the Mixostober highlights for you? The Murder House. Oh, the murder house. We had grand plans this year. I like, well, actually, like the, the highlight of my mix over was probably our VR, our PlayStation VR experience. That's what I after, was going to say. After the murder house. Like the murder house was fun. And it's always fun to go on a little, uh, a little mix field trip and creep ourselves out a little bit. Um, but the VR experience this year was wild. I was just, uh, I was just hyping it up on, on New Year's. Um, like I, I've never experienced that before, and you know I couldn't imagine that it was going to be very good. But it was so good and even better. And uh, all the stuff that we talked about and did over Mixostober, the VR experience was my highlight. I've told and retold, as recently as yesterday, I retold <laughs> the kitchen experience. Did you really? Hey, yes. guess what? That that is out of um, the new Resident Evil game that's mm-hmm. going to come out. That game comes out like in January. Is there any way on earth that you're buying that? Yes, and you're you are ins- coming over to play no, it. You're yeah. insane. Yeah, you're yes, you are, it. and we're going to film it. Just because you guys want to see me scream. No. Well, you're the most exciting one to put in there for sure. As as yeah, witnessed, I know. Also, by sitting next to you during Rogue One. <laughs> Can Which I just say I, I get to sit next to Ian for the next Star Wars. I'm just calling it now. His well, wife can be on one side, but I get the other side. I'm calling it. Well, it's unfair because this was the one that you wanted to sit by me because I knew the ending. I knew what was going to happen in the movies yeah. that came yeah. after, and I was still surprised. And yeah, shocked. yeah, but still, imagine what happens when you. Don't know what's coming. Oh yeah, my yeah. God. Like, I'll be on like the, edge the kitchen. Of my, I'll be off the edge of my seat. Uh, well, that's really cool because we're honestly, gonna, guys, we're gonna have to do like when does that game come out? Like end of January, uh, January twenty. So 20th we're gonna have to do like McSauce February October. <laughs> we're gonna have to get, get up to Matt's Val- yeah. uh, massacre. Yeah, we'll do Valentine's Day massacre and sit you down and video oh, you playing the kitchen. I, it's gonna be so fun. I'm um, gonna lose oh my, my god, mind. I'm so excited! It, it, 
the PlayStation VR, it's so vivid and the possibilities are endless. It it shocked me <clears throat> you don't, how good it was. You don't get it until you're in it. And I was telling a buddy of mine on New Year's about it and how like you're in Crime Alley in that Batman game and you see Wayne Martha Wayne gets shot and her body's there on the ground and it's just so it's complete three sixty. Mm-hmm. You're like there's nowhere you can look. It's not even like the goggles or like open at the bottom and like I can see my feet. Right. Nothing. It's completely immersive. And your ears and you are don't plugged get it. too. Yeah. So I could kind of hear you guys, but I really couldn't. And, you know? Yeah, and but you, and you don't you don't really understand it until you're in it. And it was such a such a crazy thing, such a cool thing. Uh that was my McSauceober highlight. It's really funny that that was kind of a highlight for you guys because honestly, I I forgot about that being a, really? a major part of it. Yeah. Well, really that did. wasn't that wasn't part of our our trip up there. You know, we went we go up there to get some pizza and go to Go to the murder house, and when we got there, it was like, "Oh, hey, I got this. Why don't we check it out for a minute?" Yeah, and then then we wound up making a whole episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, that that's really cool. So, yeah, I think that probably was a highlight, which completely slipped my mind. Of course, the murder house was fun, and uh, and that's damn good pizza, sir. Pizza. It is good pizza. Um. So. Moving moving into uh, December, um, I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about another uh, McSauce phenomenon, which was the most ridiculous thing, I think, out of, <laughs> that we've ever talked about. Out of 176 episodes on this show, this, to me, is just the most insane thing. We've done and- a lot of weird stuff. We talked about... Like a gum jungle at one point. That's like, I know the comic kingdom. Yeah, the, yeah, the comic book kingdom is pretty insane. But like, there was just something, just, just nuts about this one, and this was Ian's theory of the Santa Cly. Now, Paul, what the Santa Cly was, if you so, remember, so ridiculous. Was Santa Claus can multiply himself? I'm already, already mad at this theory. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, and, multiply himself into. Uh, it's all sort of like the same entity, but it, it's he has somehow multiplied. It's not Santa Claus; it's Santa Cly. And because there's millions, maybe billions of these, Santa I would Cly, say billions. I would say billions. They are able to do the work of Santa Claus over the course of one night. It's the only logical explanation. <laughs> the only that's the logical explanation. So Santa Cly. Now, uh, Ian, they can find that episode. Uh, the fans can yeah, find that it's, episode. Yeah, it's in that that episode's recent. I and, think, that and it's might called be like Santa Cly. Santa Cly, right? And you can find it in Stitcher, Podomatic, iTunes Store, anywhere. One uh, of my favorite McSauce episodes. Mine as well. Um, and then, uh, so. The, the last thing that really I'd like to talk about is the, the year was capped, which it seems like this is going to be the annual thing for the foreseeable future, which is the year is going to end with a Star Wars movie. This year we got the second Star Wars movie under um, Disney's ownership of Star Wars, and that was Rogue One. A little bit different, a little bit different of a Star Wars movie, um, but... Uh, really good. It Focus was still on really good. the you know, the war torn, uh, 
planets that the re- the rebellion, the fledgling rebellion, mm-hmm. is trying to you know get its act together to fight against the evil empire. Yeah, there was uh, for a story that basically we know how it ends. There were some some unexpected things that happened in that movie. Uh, whether they were story points or certain effects that were really cool. Um, there was a lot to like. Now, of course, I had a list that I was pretty critical of the movie as well, although I have seen the movie three times now. I've and only seen it once. I need to go back and see it again. Yeah, it's it's especially better the second time. It really is. Um, and I, I just feel like this is going to be a Star Wars thing, is that first time. It's just, it's just overwhelming. I can't even... I especially felt this way for The Force Awakens where like I couldn't even get my head wrapped around what I just saw because I feel like it was information overload. Overstimulation. Over, Overstimulation? Stimulation. I was going to say stimulation, but that's, that's in, not right. That would be that sounds incorrect, like a folks. That like word. Um, but were there, I know there are th- some things that you disliked upon your second viewing, but why don't we get, this is 2017, the year of the positive, why don't we get into some of the things that you did like a little bit better, and then we'll talk about the one thing that you uh, fucking absolutely hated. Uh, Well, one of the things that I kind of had a problem with when I first saw it was I really struggled to uh, kind of resonate with any of the characters, especially upon their deaths, because, uh, you know, you have all these heroes that die heroic deaths, I kind of didn't care. And it bothered me that I didn't care. I cared a little more. By the third viewing, I was a little bit more kind of invested. Maybe because I've sat with them three times now. And now I'm starting to get used to these characters a little bit. Uh, The first time around, it is legitimately tough to remember the names of the characters. And coming out of that first viewing, I couldn't really remember. And I, I I knew Jin... Urso and I knew K2SO. <clears throat> the only one I can't remember is Hawaiian guy. Baze Mal Mal what? I don't uh, know what his last name is. It was Baze. Baze. Um so somebody pointed out to me that basically uh K2SO is Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> Think about it. Yeah. He looks totally like him. is. Totally is. That's funny. It's it's crazy he's exactly sheldon so k2 sheldon oh and you mentioned before the podcast that you uh you found you've discovered the star wars character that you hate the most in yeah this. the that that's forrest whitaker's uh shea Guevara? <laughs> almost uh saw Guerrera. oh saw Guerrera. uh just a, a just an atrocious character. Just the if you think Jar Jar Binks is pointless, if you think Kitster is pointless, then who's Kitster? I don't think the I know Kitster. Little wait, is Kitster the Rodian or the other the other little friend? Come yeah. on, Paul. The Rodian is Wald. Okay, oh, gee, that's right. Kitster's uh, Anakin's little Indian buddy. His little friend that says to to Padme, finish the race, of course. Fuck. You don't remember Phantom Menace? Um, I do remember that a little bit now that you bring it up. Anyway, Saw Gerrera, terrible character. The most pointless character. If you think about it, everything that that Saw Gerrera does 
is off screen. It happens off screen. He, he's talked about in a really cool way, and you're starting to like. It's almost like Job of the Hut. Before we see Job of the Hut, you know, you hear about mm-hmm. him a bunch of times. You hear about him in A New Hope. You hear about him in The Empire Strikes Back, and you finally see him return of the Jedi, and he's like kind of cool. Um, originally, originally, uh, with with Saw Gerrera, you hear about him for right. the first. Well, we get a little preview of him earlier on in the movie, but uh, he's spoken about in almost like hushed tones where he is a force to be reckoned with and he's he's kind of scary. He's too wacky for the rebellions. Right, right. He's very extreme. Right. And then we finally see him in, in... And there's no snowboarding at all. There's no... And I looked around and I was like, where's that Code Red Mountain Dew? Yeah, no Mountain it. Dew, n- nothing extreme. And uh, not even not even like kayaking for God's sakes. No, no, no. But, he didn't. But we're we're treated to this. One character of those metal that, feet should have been a rollerblade. That I don't know what his deal was. Visually. He should have he should have surfed down that wall of debris from like the box. <laughs> He's so extreme. Eat, eat my shorts. Um. So I just. I feel like he was overacted so badly, uh, and and he, that voice he, was a choice. It really was, <laughs> and like when he's like, "Did you come to kill me?" I just like, dude, go do something else. Don't be in Star Wars. This is a disaster. Now I heard that Kathy Kennedy, the president of Lucasfilm, has since said that they had much bigger plans for that character, but I think with the reshoots, the way things kind of played out, Mm -hmm. it just didn't work out. But I'm like, why was he even in the movie? He seriously does nothing. At least Jar Jar Brinks, or Binks, some people call him that, at least Jar Jar... Back up the Jar Jar Brinks truck. (laughs) At least Jar Jar Binks brings together the Naboo and the Gungans, and and he brings the two societies together. Whereas Sagarera doesn't do anything. He seriously doesn't. What, like, Ian, tell me, what was the point of Saw Gerrera in, in the context of the movie? I, uh, I don't get it. I'm not, I'm, I'm, this is Matt's, you know, like, semi-rhetorical question here. But, like, I, I only saw it once, so I, I don't really understand it. Like, I don't know why the contact for Bodhi is Saw Gerrera. Like, I don't know why they couldn't just he- write him complete, write Saw Gerrera out. And, like, they already have this information that Bodhi is going somewhere with the plans. Like, why can't Bodhi be meeting someone that the Alliance, that the Alliance already knows? Like, I don't know. Like, that. Ex- Maybe- we don't even see that extreme faction do anything that extreme that the rebellion would be like whoa 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 that's too much i mean we see them do things that the rebellion would do well so that's what we see from the rebellion is that there's a lot of infighting and like not a lot of decision making they don't take any action so maybe bodhi is like well this dude will do some shit whereas the actual heads of the rebellion are just going to sit here and argue about it and not do anything. That's me just like, that's me kind of explaining it without anything from the movie to really tell is, me that. Yeah, I this, wish I would, I wish we could see Sagarera do something that's, that was extreme that could make you believe that he, like, this is why the rebellion doesn't want to have anything to and do this with is, it. And this, you know, maybe this is because I only saw it once and I have my facts incorrect, but 
Um, Bodhi doesn't get a choice. It's not like Mr. Urso gives him, he's like, hey, you can go to this guy or this guy. Whatever one you like. Yeah. Like, he just gets Saw Gerrera. But he could easily be like, hey, go to Bell Organa. Well, wasn't he... No, well, what, wasn't he... He, he knew, was trying he to go Saw to Saw Gerrera. Like, that he, that's who he was trying to find. Saw Gerrera, you know, he knew him from when he watched over Jin and trained Jin. Maybe he was like... He's like the most famous icon of the Rebellion and the one person that he could find, maybe. That Mr. Urso could find. Yeah, I yeah, I mean okay. the one that I mean he's somebody that's trusted. He trusted right. him with his kid, right? I still feel like there's a way. Uh, like I, I didn't have a problem with. Oh, I didn't have a huge problem with Sagara. Not the big problem you had, but I feel it, like there's still a way that it's a lot of that could be problem. simplified. It's an acquired problem. I, it, he didn't make me sick the way that he does. The more I think about it, um, like upon first viewing, it's like oh okay, whatever. Uh, he was dumb, and I did think, wow, that was kind of pointless when he like killed himself or allowed himself to be killed. Yeah, he just kind of gave. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm I don't think running. I want to be in this movie anymore. And that was it. It was it was really bizarre. It was absolutely bizarre given the reputation that the movie makes you think he has up to that point for him to just be like, okay, this is a fitting end for me. What? It's like you have unfinished business, man. Yeah. I, I. I agree with what you're saying. I don't think it's the character's fault. I think that they could have written more. They needed they needed to show us more of what they hinted at. Yeah, I agree. And and it looks like they're going to do it like in spin-off stuff like the Rebels TV show and stuff, but I it, wanted to see it then though, you know? Right. Right. And I just it's almost like couldn't you have edited him out or like it was just such a a poor, a poor choice to bring him in. I think it's important to have extreme versions of the Rebel Alliance to show that there is another, like all the way on the opposite side of the Empire is this reaction to the Empire, but we never saw it. We just got told about I, it, kind of. I, I guess, but like Paul said, you see the the Rebels seeming to do things that you didn't think they were capable of that felt pretty extreme and they looked no more extreme than what we saw Saw Gerrera's faction yeah. doing. So I, I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, think about it. Saw Gerrera, just a really bad character. Uh, I think at some point in 2017, uh, whenever we need a break from all this uh, sunshine and flowers that <laughs> is the theme of 2017, uh, we're, we're going to talk about our least favorite Star Wars characters. I think that's a great topic. Uh, I think so too. It's at some point I'd still like to get to our top three Steven Spielberg movies. I, I think so. Why don't too. we let's do that in the summertime when like he's like one of the kings of the blockbuster movie, right? Yeah, I was, give me enough time to watch Jaws. Right. I was gonna oh, say hopefully he'll release Jaws. something. This I'm year going to. I almost to make watched that it topic the other day, but. Hey, so uh, before we sign off, I, I really would like to, at least the three of us, we'd go around and maybe talk about like our, our big highlight for uh, 2016. Like, What was the thing that, that really stood out as something that we absolutely loved or felt like the, the year really needed? Um, anybody want to go? I don't think it translates. Well, it hasn't translated to um, the masses yet, but... Peter Tomasi and Patrick Gleason's Superman book is so fucking good. 
I think it's Rebirth, starting to get some accolades, man. It's been the best book that they've put out. It's so good. Uh, Patrick Leeson and Doug Monkey are back and forth on the artwork, and they're, they're just killing it every issue. Uh, I've really liked Aquaman since it came out, but it's had some ups and downs. Batman's had some ups and downs. Um, but this Superman book, even the Superman annual, uh, I, I can't remember who did the art, but the artwork in it is so fucking good, and the story's so cool. Um they're, they got, I mean, Superman is back in comics. Like, he's Good. the Superman that that, I, that I've that i wanted, and I, I can't get enough of it, and I'm, I'm so happy about it. Ian? Um, I really enjoyed Netflix's Luke Cage. I thought that it was uh, a character that I wasn't really all that excited to watch his, uh, you know, like 12 episodes of, but whenever I actually got it, it was a great blend of, like, you know, black exploitation, '90s hip hop stuff, and some just really well done comic book action. How long a, did it take? I'm sorry to interrupt, but how yeah. long did it take you to to go through that series once you realized, oh my god, this is oh, really like good. I was hooked on uh, once I got around to watching episode one. I watched it in about a week and a half, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Um, all all it took me was watching the first pilot episode and i was in and you and did in a week just, and a half that's I pretty good i kind of like blazed episodes. right through it i know paul it's like one a day really liked it yeah um like i i watched like a couple of days took a day off and um but it was a really solid um solid series in a year of a lot of content a lot of series must watch shows you have you know uh, outside of comic books you have Westworld, Game of Thrones, things like that. Luke Cage, it's Stranger Things also was really great. But oh man, um, I forgot about that. Maybe. But uh, nice, nice callback because I think that that needs mention. Holy shit! I figured that that's where you were going, but for me, Luke Cage was really uh, a it, high mark in a year flooded with content and series and and a lot a lot of things to watch. Little time, carve out some time and watch Luke Cage. Well, uh, you'll be happy to know that I did start watching some TV. I started watching Rebels again. I'm halfway through the second season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, I th- I thought that I bought the second season, but I bought season two, part one. It's broken I fucking apart. hate yeah, that. That's bullshit. I hate that so bad. And I was like, how dare you? <laughs> I was like, saw Guerrero. I was like, what did you do to me? What who will you become if they only give you one season? Right. Half of a season. Ian, that wasn't even in the movie. Hey, real quick, I want I to point out. Well, half of the stuff in the Rogue One tr- teaser trailer wasn't in the movie. No, you know, we I'm, we I'm, criticized yeah. uh, the Fantastic Four movie mercilessly for doing that. Well, if any movie's ever been guilty of giving you a preview for a movie that, that wasn't, wasn't that in movie, a movie, yeah. Rogue One is the ultimate. Uh, offender, bunch of Sagarera's lines. Um, Half of Krennic Sog- walking through, the walking water? off the beach with his cape in the water. Jin running on the beach with Death Star plans. Uh, Jin at the top of the tower, and a Tie Fighter rises Jin, up. Right. I mean, Jin in that tunnel when the lights go on when she's in. The- oh shit! Did they not have that part in it either? Nope. Rewrite, motherfuckers. So, Ian, my highlight uh, was going to be something else. Actually, it still will be, but... You can touch on both. But Stranger Things, oh my God. Like, 
best new TV and I, I can't even tell you, you know, I thought that I really enjoyed Game of Thrones and I thought that was a great series, Walking Dead, all that stuff. But to me, there's just something absolutely magical about what was going on with um, Stranger Things. I think it's just so fucking good. But what, what I would like to say is for comic books, while I liked Rebirth and I think Rebirth offered some really great things, um, all new Marvel now, not so much. But uh, two new uh, series that were um, they were finite series. They were they were wrapped up in six seven issues. Were um, Claws, the book by Grant Morrison of all people, and Empress by um, mm-hmm. Stuart mm-hmm. Immonen and um, Mark Miller. And what I realized is, man, these these self-contained stories that that give you everything the beginning middle and end and and they're over the same year that they start that kind of fits my lifestyle a little bit for keeping up with stuff like that's what i realized about tv i like a nice tight 10 episodes yeah mm-hmm. yeah no filler right yep. and and you know serialized fiction is tough in 20 well let's fuck it let's say it in 2017 it's Paul, even harder now it, we we lead such fast-paced lives it is really difficult to start stop start stop on a continuing storyline so comic books tv all that stuff it's tough that's why i like movies that's why i like these finite series that's why a netflix um season dump is so nice uh and so for me, these these finite series and comics have been a revelation. It's just not that I didn't know about them before, but um, they were the two most enjoyable things that I read this year. Um, you know, in a in a year with some pretty good stuff. You know, I think specifically that rebirth issue, while it was one of the wordiest comic books I've ever read. Um, wow, was that a special issue that yeah. one? But. Uh, Empress and Claws. Good stuff. That's going to do it for us tonight. I like a nice, bright, sunshiny podcast. I can't wait to do 52 more of these, or maybe 50 of these. This year, it's going to be good times, except for that one bummer where we talk about our least favorite Star Wars character. Um, my name is Paul McGinty. Yeah, sharply. Matt Cassell. Thank you for listening, and here's to a wonderful 2017 for everyone.